it. So you got your Bibles? Matthew chapter 7 is where we find ourselves. We're in the New Testament. We have been studying through the book of Matthew. And very specifically, we've been studying through this one sermon of Jesus. The sermon is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as he's teaching the sermon, it doesn't just cover a few verses. It covers three chapters in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we are near the end of chapter 7. So we're coming to Jesus' concluding remarks about, well, what he wants to share with his followers. And so if you haven't been with us for a little while or you just, you know, kind of having, you you want to get a running start on where we're at, let me give you uh, a few things that Jesus has talked about before today's message. As he's finishing up this Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the fact that there are two ways. There's a broad and wide way that is leading to destruction And then there's a narrow path that leads to life everlasting, heaven or hell. Now, there are those that are like, man, I just wish, you know, I didn't have to talk about hell. Well, listen, if you say you appreciate Jesus, you have to also appreciate the fact that he talks about hell. Jesus does. And if Jesus does, and if I say that we teach the things that Jesus taught, then we have to teach that. Otherwise, it becomes this um, buffet line, I don't like this, I like that, make up your own religion. And that's not what this is about. So if we're going to study what Jesus said, that means studying what Jesus said in his entirety. And so two studies ago, Jesus made it really clear. There's a broad way, leads to destruction. A lot of people are going that way. And then there's a narrow way and it's difficult. Jesus didn't say it was easy. He said it's difficult and it leads to everlasting life. And then last Sunday, we looked at two different kinds of people that are out there that can end up in a church for different motivations. And we talked about sheep and we talked about wolves. And the interesting thing about the study last Sunday was that wolves don't come dressed as wolves. They come dressed as sheep. So it's that idea of like, I just, I have a hard time believing that that person could possibly be. Well, it may be that their costume is really, really good. But we also looked at last Sunday, how can you tell a wolf? Well, you can tell a wolf because you examine them over time. And as you examine over time, there's certain things that you'll notice like, oh, look at that. Your snout is a little bit too big for it to be a sheep. And that tail doesn't seem to fit. And my, what large teeth you have, right? And wolves don't like to be examined. They want to get in, cause destruction, get a position, cause damage. So we talked about that. Why did we talk about that? Like, boy, these aren't light topics. Why are you talking about this? Because Jesus talked about it. Again, if you're going to say, I really like Jesus, well, then I really like Jesus too. I love him and I want to teach what he said. So that leads us to today's study. See, if we talked about two different ways, the broad way and the narrow way, heaven or hell, and then we talked about two different trees, that's the wolves and the sheep, because a wolf, it's bad fruit. A sheep, good fruit. So we talked about two paths, two different types of fruit, and now we're going to talk about two different types of followers. So the title of this morning's message is Believer or Make-Believer. And so let's pray. We're going to get into Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Papa, as we come before you, the word is open before us and the topic is not light. I pray for your help. Holy Spirit, I ask for your anointing to give understanding to the scriptures, that as they're read, as the words are spoken, I pray that even from my mind, you would strike words that I shouldn't say and that you would give me words that I should say. 
all for the purpose that the listener would understand your heart, God. Father, we don't want to misunderstand what is said here. And so we pray that you would give us understanding. I pray if we've come in here with some heaviness or some burden, that we would be able to lay those at your feet so that we might be able to hear your words. Teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. Hey, let's read these verses. Jesus again speaking to his followers. Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, here it is, maybe the most shocking thing Jesus has ever said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Heavy passage, heavy scripture there. We're not going to finish out the rest of Matthew chapter 7 because you can't just blow past these verses and not stop and say, wait, what? What? What does this mean here? You know, you've probably heard this phrase. I'm sure you can even finish it off for me. All that glitters is not gold, right? Yeah. And so maybe you come across something like this, a, a, a block of pyrite. Uh, and, and what's pyrite? Well, I think we might have a picture of pyrite here up on the screen. You know, it's like, okay, right. Shiny, gold-colored, except that's closer to sulfur than it is to gold. And maybe if your eyesight was blurry, yeah, from a distance, it might look like a nugget of gold. But under further examination, you would realize this is not gold, as it goes by the name fool's gold. And, 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 you know, this starts a pastor on a little journey of, of like, I wonder about these things that seem to be real, but are fake. And so then I started to see that from the 1960s to today's day and age, they have been finding these gold bars that are filled with something that's not gold. And it almost looks like a, like, like a Easter candy, like you're pulling the wrapper off of it. And the one in the top corner there, they took a drill and drilled into it. And yes, the surface is made up of gold, but then you get to, well, lead in the older ones, but now tungsten, because tungsten is about the same specific weight as gold. And so when weighed, it comes out to be pretty close. But then if you start to do some examination and see, the thing is, the examination becomes more and more intense. And the more intense the examination, even to like that one there, it's almost like a not gold leaf. It's actually thicker than gold leaf, but peeling it off this tungsten block. But then what they started to do then is now drill holes and put these tungsten rods inside. And so this idea that is it gold? Well, on the surface, it sure looks like gold. But when you look at the substance of it and what's inside of it, Mm-mm, it's a fake. It's not real. You know, um, ch- uh, children, I think, realize this. Uh, cotton candy, right? Cotton candy, it looks like there's so much to it. So much, to, so fluffy, fluffy. You know, so, there's so much to it until you start to eat it and it just dissolves because it's m- mostly air. I mean, if it was like, hey, do you want some cotton candy? Well, that's one way to sell it. It's another way if you want to say, hey, do you, wanna, do you want mostly sugar, mostly air? With just a slight bit of sugar? Well, that doesn't sound quite as appealing, but it is far more realistic. I don't know how big cotton candy is here on the coast because of the humidity. Because humidity does something interesting to cotton candy. 
right? All of a sudden you start to, it reveals, humidity reveals what cotton candy is really made out of, which is mostly air. And so there's not much substance to it. Speaking of kids' delights, how about we talk about uh, a child... A child having that moment of disappointment as they bite into the ear. It's always the ear, right? You start at the ear with the, with the, with the chocolate bunny to bite into it only to realize to your disappointment that it's hollow. You've been given a hollow bunny. It looks solid. It looks substantial. You grabbed it and you thought, well, okay. And then you took a bite and then it crumbled. And you know what happens? It crumbles and falls into the bunny. Now you've got like chocolate pieces inside the bunny and now it's just all... Well, somebody decided to um, kind of put a little bit of truth in advertising on one of the boxes of chocolate, and here's what it says. I'll read this to you. Milk chocolate filled with gluten-free, zero-calorie, flavorless air. <laughs> truth in advertising, right? It's absolutely filled with gluten-free, zero-calorie, calorie, 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 flavorless air. Kind of looks like it's substantial when you first look at it, but when you take a bite out of it, you realize, "Mm, not what it appears to be. You know, so it looks good from afar, but when you get close, it's far from good. I want to show you a picture, and this is a picture of uh, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And you'll see the Dome of the Rock Mosque, the gold gold roof over there in the distance, and the, the wall there in the Temple Mount. I want you to focus on what's in the foreground here, and you see these boxes here. These uh, bone boxes, if you will, they are whitewashed boxes. In other words, bleached boxes are painted white so that they would they gleam and they shine in the sun. But inside, they contain dead things like bones. And that's what's right here. And that's also what's in front of that wall going across the Temple Mount over there. So all of that light-colored stuff up in front of that, that uh, wall there, those are all tombs and burial plots. And yet they're whitewashed and they're painted bright white. Now, Jesus had something to say about people who have an appearance of one thing, but have the substance of something else. I want you to see it. It's on the screen here. Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28. Jesus speaking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. The picture we saw, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, now Jesus isn't fooled by what's on the inside, but he's going, yeah, outside to other people, you look really good, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, we just came from Arizona, and so I know this terminology came into my mind as I was writing my notes or typing my notes up, and you may not understand it, but let's just go with it. Here it is. You can polish a cow pie until it shines, but it's still a cow pie. If you're wondering what a cow pie is, you can look that up because I'm not going to get into that right now. But the idea that the substance of something actually matters. Oh, no, I'm just going to buff it and polish it and put a new coat of shine on top of it. What does that matter if the substance is not worthy? In fact, Jesus continues on with the scribes and the Pharisees and he says this a few verses earlier, Matthew 23, 25 and 26, Jesus again, and this may sound like a repetition, but he means this. Woe to you, scribe and Pharisees, hypocrites. Satan said the same thing twice. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate 
and then the outside, that the outside also may be clean. See, there's a priority. There's an order of operations here, which is worry about the inside being right before you worry about the outside. Now, you do realize we live in a world that highly values making sure the outside is polished to us, shine. Make sure your life looks good. Make sure your appearances are up. Make sure your, your yard is tidy and your house looks great and your relationships look great. And, and forget the fact that it may all be falling apart in reality, but man, you got to look good for everyone else. I got to tell you, the person that's not fooled is Jesus. He sees the inside reality of every single person. And in fact, he encourages those that follow him and directs those and leads those that follow him to lead lives that are full of the right substance. And the outward stuff will take care of itself. You worry about the substance of your life. What is your life actually about? And are you, cons- are you spending time working on the substance of who you are and letting God do that? Or is it just all spent buffing the outside? Because here's the thing, you buff the outside enough, you may even fool yourself. You may even fool yourself and go, I'm doing pretty good. Meanwhile, just a millimeter down, it's just dead. See, Jesus here is not speaking something light. He's something, speaking something solid. If somebody talks about a false Jesus... In other words, a Jesus where basically the Jesus they're talking about is somebody who has the name Jesus, who basically is a genie, who does whatever you want. I got to tell you, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That is a false Jesus. And if you're following a false Jesus, a Jesus who just does whatever you want, and then you're following a false gospel, maybe last week we talked about it, those that follow after the prosperity, it's not even a gospel, but I'm going to use it cringingly, the prosperity gospel Hey, listen, you follow the Lord and your life is just going to come up roses. Everything's going to be great. Never going to be sick another day of your life. It's just going to be money raining from heaven. That's not in the Bible. In fact, I see my Savior going to the cross and being crucified and I see his disciples, most of them being martyred for their faith. So if you follow a false Jesus and a false gospel, I'm going to tell you that leads to a false salvation. How can you be saved if you're following a false Jesus and a false gospel? You can't. You can't. So what Jesus said in those verses we read, he said, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that idea there, Lord, Lord, these people who are speaking to Jesus, they know something about him more than the average person. What do you mean, Jim? Well, they're using the word Lord, Lord. And in our English translation, it's the word Lord, but it's the Greek word kurios. They're saying kurios, kurios. Well, what does kurios mean? Well, kurios means master. It's a translation of a Hebrew word, Yahweh, master, God. So they're coming to Jesus and Jesus says that in a day in the future, many will come to him and say, God, God, master, master, Lord, Lord. So this person, whoever's calling him these phrases has been around church or knows Christianese enough to be able to call Jesus Lord, Lord. But the thing is, even though they recognize that Jesus is God, and even though they preached in Jesus' name, and even though they did amazing works, they aren't his child. I don't know if that shocks you, because if this is the first time you've ever stopped and considered this passage, it should shock you. That there are going to be people, and Jesus says here, well, a little later in verse 22, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Many people are going to come to Jesus and know Christianese. And speak to him with that and go, Master, Master. So they acknowledge that he is the Master, but he's never been their Master. And that causes us to stop for just a moment and say, 
hold on. When I was studying this passage, you know what this leads you to do? You have to stop and ask yourself a question. Wait, am I a believer in Christ? Now you may just go, Pastor Jim, stop, stop. Don't, you don't have to worry about that. You're pastor. If you were here last week, you realize that just because somebody's a pastor doesn't mean that they're saved, right? I don't know if that phrase is hard for you to hear. You do realize somebody can go get a certificate and be a pastor and not even be a Christian. Jesus wants his followers to not be naive about other people who come into the flock, other people who say that they're Christians. But here's where Jesus gets really personal. He's directing every one of his listeners to ask themselves a question. Am I a believer? And it's a question every one of us has to ask. I would say this, because there's some different responses to a message like this. It is quite possible that somebody could get offended. Maybe they'll, they'll be kind on the outside or at least be respectable and not say anything. But inside right now, they're just like, how dare you ask if I'm a Christian? I would say it's troubling that you aren't willing to let yourself be examined. That is a worrying sign. If somebody asks you if you're a Christian, you're like, well, how dare you ask me? Whoa, wrong response. Wrong response. A Christian would go, yes, I am a Christian. Yeah, and you know, this is when I came to know the Lord and, and I just, I'm in love with him. And a, a Christian has no issue when they're asked if they're a Christian. Uh, somebody who's acting like a Christian, who isn't a Christian, might have an issue if they're asked about being a Christian. You should never be afraid to examine your life. You shouldn't. And I'm not saying that you live your life moment by moment doubting if you're saved. That's not the purpose of this message. I'm just saying that Jesus brought this up so everybody would consider the question, am I truly a believer? It's a valid question for you to ask other people. You, you ask yourself this question because I ask myself this question. And as we're going through this study, I'm going to say this a couple times here. This is the first time I'm going to say this. Are you saved by good, doing good things for God? So you do a lot of good things for God, come to church, donate money, all that stuff. So you're doing all these good things. Is that how you get saved? I want to make this clear now and I'll make it clear later. No, good works do not save you. They don't save you. And I don't know how else I could say it better than to show you this verse. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you are a Christian, you are a Christian not because of any work that you have done. If you're going, well, I did some good things and that's why I'm... No, that's not what salvation is based on. No, it is not based on your works. So let's talk about a few examples of believers and make-believers that we might see in the Bible. I'll take you back to the book of Genesis. Two brothers, Abel and Cain. Abel makes a sacrifice to God. God accepts his sacrifice. Why? Because God saw it on the outside. God saw Abel's heart on the inside. God saw the heart of his sacrifice and it was acceptable to God and God received it. Cain made a sacrifice and it was rejected by God because God saw the heart behind it. Abel, a true believer. Cain, a make-believer. Wait, they're sons of the same pair. Yeah. Each person has to make the choice for Christ. Each person has to decide what the substance of their life is made out of. Even though you may look the same on the outside, let's, let's see what's beyond in the inside here. Let's go to the New Testament. 
New Testament, let's look at two people here. Peter, God bless Peter. Peter is so uh, relatable because Peter is like so many of us, right? He is the open mouth, insert foot kind of a guy. Like he just gets ahead of himself, ready, fire, aim kind of a guy. That's Peter. And we love Peter because we can relate with him because sometimes we're like that. Peter though, Jesus met him, broken hearted. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And for Peter then, not just to say it, but his life demonstrated it after that. Peter, was he perfect? No, no, no follower of Christ is perfect, but Peter was a believer. Judas, make-believer, with Jesus for years. And we're going to read some things, but Judas was a make-believer. He wasn't a believer. He had all the outs. From the outside, you would have thought that he was a believer. And you know who else thought he was a believer? The other disciples did. They were so shocked that when they see Judas, you know, he cuts out early at the Last Supper and they're probably like, oh, he's probably doing something righteous like Judas always does because we know Judas. He's just awesome. Judas got really good at polishing the outside. And the next time they see Judas is in the garden as he leads an army of men to capture Jesus. Could you imagine the betrayal and the shock and the horror that the disciples to realize we were duped for three years, I never saw that this guy was a make-believer. See, the make-believer places their salvation and, and thinks that their salvation is all based on what they've done. Why do you say that, Jim? Here's why. You still have your Bibles open in Matthew 7. Look at this verse here. Look at what these make-believers say to Jesus on that last day. Verse 22, on that day. What day is that? The day of judgment. The last day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And then look at this. This is why I say the make-believer places their salvation on their works. Look what they say. Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Do you see what they're going back to? They're going back to all their things that they've done. They're going, well, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this for you? Didn't we do this for you? Didn't we do this for you? The make-believer puts their salvation and thinks their salvation is based on all the stuff they do. It's not based on that. You know, things, and these are no small list here, prophesying, being able to speak the word and, and tell things that are to come, casting out demons. Well, I don't know, I, I've, I've never performed an exorcism. But there's those that have, that have cast out demons from other people, and yet, they're not the Lord's. Or even others that have served. I mean, you look at that in verse 22 at the very end there. That's the one that really got me. And do many mighty works in your name. Man, you know, Lord really taught the Bible and like went through Matthew and took, you know, months and months to go through it and did that. I'm not saved for any of the things that I'm doing right now. I do these things because I love the Lord and because he's called me to it. I don't do this for salvation. I don't love somebody for salvation. I don't help people for salvation. I'm already saved. If you've got it backwards and you're going, I have to work to get right with God, then you don't understand salvation. It's not based on your works. Here's a statement that I want you to think about. Doing amazing and miraculous things does not prove that you are a Christian. Doing amazing and miraculous things does not prove that a person is a Christian. I'm going to give you some biblical examples of people who did miracles that were not Christians just so that you can understand that I didn't make that statement up. Let's go back to Old Testament. We're in Egypt. Pharaoh is there. He's got the, God's people in bondage. God sends Moses to bring God's people out of Egypt. Okay, to be their deliverer. Great. 
Well, what does Moses do? There's a sign that Moses does. He takes his staff, he puts it to the ground, and the staff turns into, do you remember the story? Turns into a snake, right? Yeah, turns into a snake. But then Pharaoh's sorcerers do something interesting. Exodus chapter 7, verse 11, on the screen here behind me. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Demonic power. They did the same thing. They ended up throwing their staff down and their staff became snakes. Now, if you know the story, then Moses is eight there. So, you know, but, but which is not to say though that they didn't have power to do miraculous things. They did have power to do miraculous things. And even in the Old Testament, it says, well, what if somebody shows up and like they can tell the future? That means they're from God, right? If they can tell the future, it must mean that they're from God. God gives us a way to check people that even can tell the future. Look at this, Deuteronomy 13, one through three. This is Old Testament. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. So it actually happened. Oh, that, he must be from God. Mm-mm, wait. And if he says, hey, 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 let's go after other gods, which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord, your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you understand God allows people that can tell the future and can do these things, but then they draw people away from God. He allows them to exist and to even operate. Why? Because he's using them to test people to see if their hearts are towards God. Here's the truth. There are some people who love signs and wonders more than they love God. How do we know? They follow the signs and wonders even when they walk away from God. And this is not new news. I mean, we're reading Deuteronomy here. This is not like, like a news flash. This has been around. And yet here in the 21st century, yes, people can do miraculous things. I'm not doubting that that's possible. I'm just saying not every person that does a miracle is of the Lord. How can you tell and how can you not be naive? You look and see where their life is leading and pointing. And if their life is pointing towards God, the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus, hey, all right. And if not, don't even follow them. Because here's the thing with, with signs and wonders. They're very, um, they're dramatic and they appeal to our flesh. Ooh, exciting. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Stop. Because you're doing it again is leading down a path that's downhill and broad. It doesn't lead towards the Lord. Think about how many people are so um, distracted by signs and wonders and they don't even realize that the word is no longer being taught. So they have no basis on what is true and what is not true anymore. So, you know, that's some Old Testament stuff we're looking at here. Let's go New Testament. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the people who were listening to Jesus give this sermon. We're in Matthew 7 and Jesus is teaching his followers, those that say they follow him, right? I want you to think about one specific person that was there listening to Jesus teach. His name, Judas. Judas heard Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount, the one that we're reading right now. What was going through his head? Oh yeah, this is really good. These are really good words. These are really good words for other people, for sure, for sure. They should really be listening to this. They shouldn't, hold on, let me buff myself here and polish myself, make myself look. Okay, anyway, but the other people, this message is a really good message for other people. I want to tell you, beware when you start listening to messages for other people. Every message is for you. This one is for me. It has to be taught to me first before I can share it to you. 
there's a danger when you go, yeah, that's a really good word. For them, I wonder what Judas was thinking as he's hearing Jesus talking about those that'll come to him in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these amazing things for you. But Judas was a make-believer. He never committed his heart to the Lord. I want to show you this uh, verse here. And this is one where Judas did miracles, by the way. Judas did miracles. And it's like, well, where did the power come from? Well, you know, it's really easy to say, well, all the power to do miracles comes from demonic forces, you know, when it's going against the direction of God or all that other stuff. I want you to know this. Judas was given power to do miracles and he was given power to do miracles by Jesus. What? Yeah. Matthew chapter 10, verse one. Look at this. And he called him and he called to him his 12 disciples. So Jesus called to himself his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Wow. And now if you read the next few verses, which won't be on the screen, but if you read the next few verses in Matthew 10, you'll see them go down the list of the 12 disciples. And you know who's the last name on that list? Judas. Jesus gave Judas power and authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Judas must be a believer because he can do these miraculous things. Not necessarily. You know, even further in this Gospel of Matthew, we'll get there in, two, in you know, it's in chapter 24, so we'll get there in, in three years. Uh, Matthew 24, 24, it says this. Matthew 24, 24 says... For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. It's not may, they will. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. They're so convincing. So convincing. But yet they aren't of the Lord. Uh, I want to show you a, a New Testament story about a fortune teller who was possessed by a demon. This is in the book of Acts. Acts 16, verse 16 through 18. She was able to do some miraculous stuff. Tell the future. One day, as they were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money from her masters by telling fortunes. Fortune teller. It goes on here. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God and have come to tell you how to be saved. Okay, that doesn't seem like it's bad, except she didn't stop. She kept saying it over and over and over again. It'd be like somebody that was here in Bible study and they'd be like, and Pastor Jim's going to open the word and he's teaching the Bible right now. Yep, he's still teaching it. He's still teaching. He's teaching. He's teach. Shut up, right? <laughs> well, I'm just so glad that I don't just feel that way because as we see, Paul felt that way. Look at this. This went on day after day. This, this girl possessed by a demon continued to just like, these people love Jesus. They're going to tell you how to be saved and said it over and over again, Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, you see where the power came from for her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. So yeah, demonic power can give the ability to do some miraculous things, and as it seems in this example, to even tell events that are soon to come in the future. Um, and then there is one to come very soon, the Antichrist, and he is going to come with, wouldn't you be, wouldn't you know it, signs and wonders. Lying, signs and wonders. Look at this, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11. This man will come to do the work of Satan and, will count, and with counterfeit power, not real, counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction, broad path, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. 
See, if you don't accept Jesus, you become a sucker for somebody who's peddling the lie. Verse 11, so God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. I'm too smart to believe Christianity and Jesus and that whole make-believe thing. Oh, look at that person. They're doing some amazing stuff. Someone's going to be your master. Who's your master? Everybody has a master. Jesus is a kind and loving master, but let's not forget that he is a master. Is he your master? If he's your master, you're saved. But Jesus is asking people to do inventory on their life and check themselves. See, The make-believers are exposed, and here's how a make-believer is exposed, because they don't do the will of God that's revealed in God's Word. See, there's some that just go, well, I I, I love God, I really love God. Well, what do you think about marriage? Well, you know, I don't know about what all the Bible says. What do you, how did you make up what right and wrong is then? You say that God is your master, right? And yet you decide what you think is right or wrong? doesn't sound like God's your master. If he's your master, then when he gives directions, it's not a, yeah, well, you know, God, I have my own opinion. That's not how it works. It's, God, thank you for clarifying some things for me. And since you are my master, I will, my life will follow what you have said. Oh, you know, well, what is, a, what is a, 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 um, an unborn uh, child. It's probably just a bunch of cells. It's probably not any big thing. Well, you know what? The Bible would argue strongly and would say that life begins before birth. That at conception, life begins. Well, if you're going, well, Jesus is my master, you know, and I believe in God, but you know, as far as that point in the Bible goes, I'm not really, I'm sorry, it doesn't sound like he's your master. You can't say, I don't believe his word, but boy, he totally is my master. You're living a contradiction and it won't resolve itself. And here's the thing. It's being mentioned today. This is being mentioned today because I don't want anyone to end up before the Lord, myself included, and go, Lord, Lord, and he to look at me and say those shocking words, Jim, I never knew you. I don't want any of you to ever hear those words, but for every person that has ever lived, they're going to have a face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And Christianese will not save you. The substance of your life and who your master is, that is what matters. And how do we know who a person's master is? Just look at their life. Does their life line up with God's will that's revealed in God's word? The test of a Christian. How can I make sure I'm a Christian? Because I wanted to. As I'm studying this, I'm like, all right, I want to make sure that I'm a Christian. And I want you to understand this. I wasn't panicked that I wasn't a Christian, but Jesus is basically calling me to examine my life. So I want to be obedient to examine my life. And so you start to go down a list of things. And it's like, I wonder if this, this makes me a Christian. It's like, well, saying Lord, Lord, or Master, Master, or Yahweh, Yahweh, is that what makes me a Christian? No, no. It's good to do, but that's not what makes you a Christian. Well, what about performing miracles? Not that I've ever done that. But let's say that I had, and they're like, yeah, I performed some miracles, therefore I'm a Christian. No, we've just read that that's not a guarantee that you're a Christian. Well, how about, here's one, professing my faith. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, I am a Christian. I want you to know, please don't be so naive as to believe that every single person who just says they're a Christian is actually a Christian. Anybody can vocalize the words, I'm a Christian, and not actually be a Christian. That also means like, you know, that, that prayer of faith that, 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 you know, you're invited to pray if you want to accept Christ into your heart. We'll do it at the close of today's service. I just want you to know, those are not magic words. 
There's some that believe, hey, you know what? I went to a, you know, Billy Graham crusade or, a, you know, this Christian thing and they had an invitation and I said those words and I'm saved. Do you realize you can say the words and your heart isn't towards the Lord? The words aren't what saves you. Jesus saves you and you acknowledge and accept his sacrifice on the cross. Have you done that? Because a person can say the salvation prayer and not be saved. I know what I'm saying can be shocking to you, but I think you get the reality of it. You just because you do something on the outside doesn't mean that your inside has changed. Even one, here's one for you. Well, I've been baptized again. It's good. Jesus said, you know, it's one of the ordinances that we should do. Communion and baptism. It's a good thing, but it's not salvation. I've been baptized, therefore I'm saved. You do realize people can go underwater and come back up and they're not Christians. They weren't to begin with. So, what is it that can, I can just walk away from here on a Sunday and go, I'm, I know that I am a Christian. Here it is. Examine your life and ask yourself, does your life show obedience to what God says in his word? I'm not saying you're doing it perfectly because no one's doing it perfectly. I'm saying is your heart after God so that when you fail and you realize, I know I shouldn't be doing that, is there a grieving that's in your spirit? Because a child of God has a grieving in their spirit for what they've done. They're not, they're not grieving because they got caught. They're grieving because they wronged their God. That they did something that was against what God would tell them. A God that only loves them. Why would they do that? The child of God has a broken heart over their sin. Not that they got caught. A make-believer could feel sorry for that they got caught. But they have no repentance in their heart. See, we're really diving into the heart and issues of the heart here. And it is a heavy message for sure. And I want you to know that the things that I'm saying to you are not things that Jim just made up. You're going to see six verses that will be up on the screen. And, and I would just say write down the references if you're interested in looking at them. But let's not take my word for it. How about we look at what Jesus says and other writers in the New Testament say about obedience and what that means with being a Christian. Look at this. Luke 6, 46, Jesus speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Isn't that a fair question? Why are you calling Jesus your Lord if you're not doing what he says? 2 Timothy 2.19 But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those that are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. The child of God doesn't want to keep walking towards evil. The child of God sees what's wrong and what, is, what isn't right in their life and wants to turn and turns away from what is wrong. These are signs that a person is a believer. Here's another one, Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, this is the make-believer, but they deny him by their works. So their mouth says one thing, but what they do with their life is totally different. And this is what God thinks. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Ouch! God does not like fakes. God does not like those that say they're his followers yet don't have a life that brings glory to God. Again, we're not talking perfection, but we're talking, here's a word, progression. You should, from the time you first came to know God to where you are today, you should see progression in your walk with the Lord. You should see growth in your walk with the Lord. And I ask you this, because I ask myself this, are you seeing that? I encourage you to walk faithful to what God has called you to do. Here's another one. 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
And then Matthew 5.20. This was kind of a challenging verse when we looked at it a few uh, months ago. Remember this verse? Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, from us, we look at it and we go, we know the scribes and Pharisees. They're a bunch of fakes. You know, they're the ones that they didn't, their heart wasn't towards God. But from the perspective of people in Jesus' time, they put the scribes and the Pharisees on this high pedestal. They're like, those are the guys that have it figured out. Will you look at how holy they are? And then Jesus comes up with this statement, unless your righteousness is higher than the scribes and the Pharisees, it almost seems like it's unattainable until you realize that Jesus was talking about the heart. See, Jesus is saying, your righteousness can't be like the scribes and Pharisees who are faking it, who are just looking good, but in their hearts they don't love me. Jesus is saying, you have to really love me if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. No fakers are going to get into heaven. No ones that know Christianese, but yet their heart isn't towards God, are going to be with the Lord forever. And then that leads us to the verse that we saw today, and it's on your screen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, we have talked a lot this morning. And if you're hearing from me this morning, okay, Pastor Jim is saying, I need to obey God to be saved. I have to say you've been hearing me wrong. Okay, that is not it. This is what I'm trying to say and I think this is what Jesus is saying. It's not obey God to be saved. It's the saved obey God. Do you understand? There's a difference between those two things. If you are saved, you obey God. That's how you know you're saved because your heart's desire is to do whatever God wants. You're not here to look good for other people. But the enemy wants people to think, oh, obey God, do a bunch of good things and you'll be saved. You know what? There'll be people that'll be before Jesus on the last day. Lord, Lord. And he'll go, I never knew you. The other thing about the, that phrase that's so shocking to me is if, if you can break it down into um, as much of the original language and try to look at like the, the impact of what Jesus' phrase is, here it is. I never, no, not ever once had a relationship with you. That's what the new you means. Because the idea, if you're like, if you're saying, what, you know, Jesus doesn't know that there's certain people that exist. No, of course he knows they exist. That's not what he means. He means you and I have never, ever, not once, ever had a relationship. And, you know, there are those that believe, like, you can be a Christian, then you can lose your salvation, then you can be a Christian, then you can lose. I would say that what Jesus just said here would heavily challenge that. Because Jesus is saying, not I knew you once and then, oh man, you committed a bunch of sins and now I don't know you, but then you did really good and now I know you, but then you fell really bad into sin and now I don't know you. Jesus says to the person that comes to him, that says, Lord, Lord, in that way that lived that, that counterfeit life, Jesus says, you were never in a relationship with me, ever. See, for me, for this pastor, if a person's saved, they're saved. They're saved. The question is, are you saved? If you're saved, you're saved because it's based on what Jesus did on the cross. And last time I checked, Jesus' work on the cross didn't fail. So if a person accepts that and believes that and is following after the Lord, here's the thing. Here's your, the assurance is that you're saved. But I can't give you that assurance. You know who gives you the assurance? God gives you the assurance as you follow him day by day. Then you go, I have this blessed assurance that only God can give me. A pastor can't give you blessed assurance. Only God can. So, I want to tell you this story that did not happen. 
I want to tell you a story that didn't happen to me, but I want you to get your response on this. Let's say second service was starting. Pastor Joe, you know, came up and he said, hey, you know, Pastor Jim's not here at the moment. He's running a little bit late. I don't know what he did between first and second service, but he's someplace. And then all of a sudden I show up, you know, after worship and Pastor Joe's up here and he's like, okay. And he's like, well, let's, uh, you know, yeah, I've kind of delayed for like 10 minutes here. Let's get into the word. And then all of a sudden I come through the door and I come through the door and I'm out of breath. I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. So sorry. Okay. Hey, listen, you won't believe what happened to me between first and second service. I just, you know, I just wanted to, to go, uh, get a slice of pizza, right? Okay. So I just had to get a slice of pizza. So I went to go get a slice of pizza between first and second service. And as I had my slice of pizza, I stepped out into the road and wouldn't you know it, it just snuck up on me. This Mack truck was just flying down the road. I looked and it's Mack. That's how I know it's Mack truck. And then it hit me. Then it rolled over me like a speed bump, you know, all 18, you know, it just wheels just all over me. And it was just traumatic to me, but I'm okay. And I'm here. You would be like, you are a liar. Like you are a stinking dog. You liar. You're not even telling the truth right now. And I would ask you this question. Why would you call me a liar? Why would you say that I didn't have an encounter with a Mack truck just a few minutes before? I think you would say this. If you had an encounter with a Mack truck, you would have all the signs of an encounter with a Mack truck all over you. You would be changed by your experience when you met the Mack truck. Church, listen. An experience and an encounter with Jesus is far more impacting than any experience with a vehicle. If you're saying that you have met the risen Christ and your life is unchanged, you're a liar. I didn't say that. I quoted the verse that said that. You cannot meet the risen Jesus and be the same person before and be the same person after. Impossible. So take inventory of your life. Is your life different after the time you said you've accepted Jesus' finished work on the cross. Because if you're going, my life is basically the same, I have to ask you this question. How is that possible? Because the Bible says it's not possible. I do this out of love. I'm not doing this to make you doubt your salvation or question. I just think everybody should do inventory in their life. Because how can we give others blessed assurance and tell them that Jesus loves them how can we share the truth of God's word if we ourselves are not certain of it for ourselves? You know, if you have a bulletin, please open it and look at that verse that's in the bulletin there. It's Jesus's words. If you're wondering what his heart is, this is his words. Jesus says in the gray box in your bulletin, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Listen, that's the heart that God has. If God is mentioning these things, it's not to beat you down. It's so that you would know, that you would know, that you would know that you are His child. Because how can you live this life with uncertainty like that? And everybody knows John 3.16. But how about John 3.17 on the screen? It'll stay up there. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus is saying these things so that people might realize and recognize for some that they aren't believers. 
and that they would accept Jesus truly and be obedient to God's word. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here and I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes because I did tell you I was going to give an opportunity. Please remember that the words of this prayer are not magic. Saying these words doesn't mean you're a Christian. It's about what you're doing in your heart towards God. Surrendering your will to God's will. That's what will do it. But all that being said, there is a profession. There is a statement If your heart is there, then the statement would be appropriate to say. If you're listening on the radio, you're listening on the internet, this applies to you as well. We have our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and if you would like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't want to be confused about whether you're a believer or a make-believer, or you're not even sure. And if you're a non-believer, you're clearly, hey, I, I don't believe in Jesus, but after hearing these things, you can appreciate the honesty that Jesus has been speaking with and you want to accept Him as your Savior, then this is a prayer that you can say that reflects your heart. Pray something like this. Jesus, I need You. I am a sinner. I believe what You did on the cross was for me. I accept Your work on the cross for me. Jesus, help me to walk in Your ways all the days of my life. Give me strength to turn from evil and walk to what is right. Give me strength when the narrow path is difficult. And give me boldness to invite as many people to come with me on the way. Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for being my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You still have your heads bowed, your eyes closed for a moment. If you had prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand just so I could acknowledge it? won't embarrass you at all. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else? God bless you. You can put your hands down here. For those of you on the radio and listening on the internet, I just want to say that this applies to you too. If you prayed that prayer because your heart was in that place, I want you to know the Bible says, the Word of God says that you are saved. Now, as you walk with Him, be encouraged as you follow in obedience day by day. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you ask the Lord into your heart, that's the biggest decision you can make in your life. It's an eternal decision. Let somebody know about it. There are going to be a few of us up here. We're going to be praying. I'd love to have you come up. Just share this huge decision that you made in your life. You're in a safe room. (laughs) You're amongst believers. So, um, Church, I just want to say that we need to let our light shine because things are dark spiritually where we live. So God has given us the light to shine. So let's do that wherever we find ourselves.